And now, the starting lineup for your WBRS Sports Alumni Podcast. In the first spot, six feet out of Franklin Lakes, New Jersey, number two, Ian Gus. In the second spot, from Chicago, Illinois, number 23, Mike Weil. In the third spot, from Philadelphia, PA, the Mandel in the middle, Mike Mandel. And your host for tonight's podcast, 5'11", from the Brandeis University, number 13, Adam Rosen. Wow, that was that was tremendous. I was, <laughs> I'm ready to go. Adam, you need a minute? <laughs> <laughs> Gotta catch my breath there. Yeah, so as you can tell, we're we're about to talk some '90s Bulls, which I'm absolutely pumped about. So anyway, I think that's a a perfect segue for tonight's podcast. Obviously, uh, the big story in the sports world, the release of the much anticipated uh, The Last Dance documentary featuring the Chicago Bulls team from the 1997-98 season, which of course featured a lot of uh, craziness and and uh, and drama amongst the team. So first, before we dive into that, if everyone wants to give a quick hello. Yeah, Ian, uh, yeah. in the first spot. Hey, so. everyone. Uh, good to be back for episode two. I'm sure everyone listened to episode one and enjoyed it <laughs> on all your favorite podcast platforms. Um, but yeah, tonight we got uh, just a couple of topics, I think, that'll uh, hopefully provide a lot of discussion over the next hour or so. Looking forward to it. Yeah, and Adam, I, I want to again applaud you on that. The Bulls were looking for a new PA announcer. Had I known, I would have submitted your name in an audition oh, tape because that was that was pretty well, I good. I think we have it on tape, so yeah, we're not so too late. They, they unfortunately they hired someone in the middle of last year, but um, <laughs> from Chicago, Illinois. Uh, I'm Mike Weil, longtime uh, Bulls fan, so excited to to get going here, and uh, I'll turn it over to the Mandel in the middle. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm uh, I'm happy to be back. This is my second ever podcast with the WBRS alumni team. Um, I'm almost as excited as these guys are. I mean, the Bulls were my team, but this was the documentary was a lot of fun. I was interested, and I didn't know that I would be. So I'm looking forward to this. And then, especially with the big news uh, with uh, Gronk earlier in the day, we're going to have some fun stuff to talk about. You know, it's funny uh, for the overnight show that I hosted junior year. We had a similar intro, but it was actually Right Now by Van Halen, where it's got the on the beginning. But the reason I did that was because uh, it was all I had on my little iPod Nano at the time. Uh, I I had picked that song kind of with the Chicago Bulls theme in mind, and I did a similar dramatic intro for for my panelists. But now with the uh, wonderful advances of modern day technology, you can can pull up a song like that on your phone in, in seconds. So yeah, that's I, I'm a big fan of that. They played that fun fact. They would play right now before the tip. I don't know if you knew that or that's why you picked it. But the '90s Bulls before they would throw the ball up before the first quarter, that was their song. Yeah. So uh, are they? Good. So you wait. They're still playing it today, or not? No, today, no, no, no. They no. retired it. Did they retire they right retired after it. Jordan? Or um, I think it was a few years after. I think it was I like early. Jerry Krause got rid of the song, right? Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Have to move on. It, it became too much uh, attention on the song, so they had to do a new song. I think they changed to Where the Streets Have No Name. Also a great song, but yeah, it was time. Jerry Krause said it was time. All right, so let's, so let's jump into it. So the first episode aired Sunday night, and it's a, it's a long documentary. You really got to be into it, but they do two episodes a night for five weeks. Uh, each episode is one hour long, so we got our first uh, two hours of the Chicago Bulls documentary, and I guess I'll just start off with just a general comments, first impressions, and Mike Weil, as the resident Bulls fan, what were your first takeaways from the documentary? Yeah, and uh, can you guys still see me? We can. We can. Okay, great. Our listeners can't. 
your listeners cannot, our listeners cannot, but no, my screen just froze. So I'm glad that, uh, I'm glad that you guys can still hear me. I guess Jerry Krause from above is trying to prevent me from giving my thoughts because they're not a hundred percent favorable toward him. But, um, basically the, the thing that I loved about this is, is growing up when, when I was a kid, this was from when I was roughly three years old to when I was 11 years old. So I was really little, but I still just had this kind of savant in a way ability for a kid that age like especially when I was like the first run three to like seven I knew every player I would watch sports center at six o'clock every morning to watch the highlights of the games and it just brought me back to that time where during the second dynasty I remember that better but the uh with Rodman and all the colorful characters and and his hair and um, the, the Michael Jordan coming back and the city just being enthralled with that team. It was like a two hour hug of childhood coming back. So my first thought was it was just awesome to see that. And also it was really amazing to know that they had this footage for 22 years. And finally we're seeing the inner workings of that season. So it was just, uh, it was nice. It was nice to be back for me for to, to that time and to that energy. And being in Chicago, the Bulls have been so bad for the last couple of years that I remember, but it's still, until you see it, you forget how just consumed the city was by basketball. Yeah, you know, to me, I think the... The second Bulls dynasty is probably as far back as I go as as far as uh, remembering uh, NBA championships. I think before that I was a little bit too young to appreciate it. But even even so, watching those first two episodes, really, you kind of forget about all the drama that, that went on back then. And obviously we were younger and, you know, some of it we probably didn't realize what was going on. This was obviously the, uh, the pre-Twitter days so and pre-social media, so you didn't have that effect as well. But just... The amount of drama that there was and all the different storylines that went into this juggernaut of a team is just so fascinating to watch. And then also, of course, going back to uh, Jordan's earlier years, which we were barely alive for. And, you know, you, you hear some of the stories, you, you, you read the stats, but to actually see these performances, you know, on TV and have it contextualized for you, it's uh, it's very powerful and it's it's pretty awesome for the people who weren't old enough to appreciate Jordan in his prime. And I'm one of those people, even with the Bulls not having been my team, like they, they were the first sports dynasty that, that I got to see live. And even then, I mean, I, I guess it was like the latter part of, of Jordan's peak years. And back then, like I didn't really understand what was going on behind the scenes. I understood how to put the ball into a hoop and, you know, who was good on the court, who wasn't. So, so, so seeing this all from, I guess, a bird's eye view and, you know, being so many years later, um, it was an interesting perspective. And, you know, as I said, it was – I did not expect to be as interested as I was in a team that wasn't even mine that happened over 20 years ago. Like, they, they had some good things in the first couple of episodes, um, you know, I think with the whole – how Jerry Krause managed or mismanaged the team and, you know, the Jordan Pippen tandem. So I'm pretty excited to see what else the series has to offer. Yeah. And, and, you know, obviously I'm a Knicks fan. So a lot of, uh, you know, less than stellar memories against the Bulls uh, for the most part in the nineties. And, you know, Mike, I was thinking for me, it was probably like watching the Yankees to some degree, um, you know, with their late nineties dynasty. So that was kind of my, uh, you know, memorable dynasty of the nineties, but um, obviously, tons of respect for for the teams and for Jordan. Um, for me, I, I enjoyed the first episode better. I thought it was a, a great overview, and I thought there was more of the footage from the, um, you know, the, I guess, 97, 98 team that they've been sitting on for 22 years. I think that is kind of the most interesting part of it. Um, all the backstory about Pippin, I wasn't as into in episode two, but um, it seems like from those who have seen future episodes, there's going to be a much more of a focus on that behind the scenes footage, which I think is kind of what um, at least drew me in. So I'm excited to see where it goes. Now, I don't want to get into too long of a debate about greatest of all time. I know it's a it's a conversation that's been had at nauseum. But at the same time, I think, you know, with this 
series kicking off, it's worth broaching the topic, particularly for those who maybe are on the fence for greatest of all time. And Mike, while I certainly know your position here, but I guess for the other guys, Jordan versus LeBron, maybe someone else in the mix, I guess, A, where do you stand before watching this documentary? And B, is it possible that the documentary could change your mind and maybe better appreciate Jordan and his status amongst the all-time greats? So I think for me, and the documentary sort of put the exclamation point on this, but the thing that amazed me most about Jordan vis-a-vis other, you know, leaders of championship teams these days is like it said that in the NBA you need multiple superstars on a team to win a championship and in LeBron's case I mean not to take anything away from him he's incredible he's clearly the best guy in the game now he has been pretty much since he joined the court but he still didn't win championships until he got a couple of other superstars around him with Jordan that wasn't the case like he was the leader you know Pippen amazing um, you know same with Robin on the defensive side but none of them were the superstar quality you know that some of these other teams have had. And, and, and Jordan was the leader of the team. Clearly, he needed his teammates to pick him up. But I'd say that that's like the one example in recent or even like semi-recent basketball in which, you know, only one superstar has been able to lead his team to a dynasty. So, so between the two of them, I'd, I'd have to go with him. So that's yeah. your opinion before, before watching. It was my opinion before watching. But, but you know, watching – and seeing some of it in action, I feel like it, you know, it solidified that opinion. Yeah, I feel, and you know, there's such a culture now where like everything current is always the greatest. That's generally how people, you know, kind of think. So I think that's where a lot of the like LeBron is the greatest conversation is from. But yeah, I mean, I was always more on the side of Jordan. Um, and obviously the documentary would probably only solidify that. So uh no argument from me on that one. Can I jump in for a second sure. just to, to, you know, my opinion that MJ <laughs> is the goat. He's the Babe Ruth of basketball, the Wayne Gretzky about whatever it is. He's Michael Jordan and he's the greatest. And the reason why he's the greatest, I, I think that for the people seeing him the first time, what struck me was not necessarily the footage from 97, 98, where you could see the competitive fire and he was upset with Scottie Pippen and he was wanting to win so badly. But it was the early career stuff that really that was something I don't remember. And that was what sets him apart from LeBron and other superstars of the current era, that he wasn't friends with anybody. He wasn't like this guy that was uh, wanting to be liked. He wanted one thing and he wanted to win and he wanted to be the best. And you saw it at North Carolina where they had, um, I think it was, um, who was it? I'm blinking now on, on who said it. It was uh, one of the players on Carolina who um, said that after two weeks, Jordan was better than him. Uh, was James Worthy? Yeah, James Worthy. Yeah, yeah. So, so James Worthy was probably the best player on that Carolina team. And after two weeks, he said, this guy Jordan is better. And then particularly the second year where he broke his foot um, and he was furious when they wouldn't let him play. First of all, what he said about the career-ending injury, what other player would say that in today's game where it says if you have a 10% chance of ending your career for going all the money and the fame, uh, to, to be like, screw it, I want to play anyway. But then to be furious when they took him out at the end of the game with 14 seconds left and a playoff berth on the line, it's him versus management. Yeah. And then in the playoffs against the Celtics, where he single-handedly played against five Hall of Famers on that Celtics team, yeah. scored 63 points in the garden. I personally think that that blew me away. That was the thing that as a Bulls fan and as someone that, followed the team very closely during that 97, 98 season. That was a performance that I hadn't seen and I had heard about it, but watching that, the way he hangs in the air and goes around people and is able to just carry the team on his back. That I think is the thing that separates him most, especially from LeBron James. Yep. Uh, just one point you made about uh, Michael not being a buddy, buddy with everybody. You, you remember the scene where he was, golfing with Danny Ainge in between yeah. finals games. Right. Yeah, that was crazy. Dispelled yeah. that a little bit. But so I, I'm actually on the fence here and not I'm not saying this to be contrarian or, or for a hot take. Um, 
So I'm, I'm very well aware of the idea of being a prisoner of the moment and, you know, people uh, sensationalizing things in the moment. So to me, uh, I, had, I had always been a Jordan guy. I think that the turning point for me was uh, 2016 when LeBron led that team, um, you know, down 3-1 in the finals against Golden State uh, to win it all. Basically, single-handedly put the team on his back. That, to me... And I remember thinking at the time, I'm not, I'm not doing this as a prisoner in the moment. I'm doing this because what I have just witnessed is so incredible. And just his whole body of work up to that point, I thought that was enough to put him at the top. Um, that being said, I, I, and I'm worried about becoming once again a prisoner of the moment by, by don't, letting don't the documentary it. influence my, my opinion here. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> So, I, yeah, I, I'm torn. And, and I think part of it is, you know, I think MJ has always just been defined by six finals, six titles, six finals MVPs. But, you know, I didn't really witness his, his first three titles. And I think going back and, and hearing the story behind that uh, playoff appearance against the Celtics, where I, I, I knew he broke a foot. I knew he missed most of his second season. I had no idea about the the minutes restriction, the fact that he was he was playing uh, seven minutes a, a half, and the fact that once the playoffs came around, he was unleashed and then just completely unloaded on that self that loaded Celtics lineup with with five Hall of Famers. Um, I think being able to see that and, and appreciate the the greatness behind that was um, it, it was pretty unbelievable. Um, so to me, I, you know, again, I, I hate kind of going back and forth with this debate because i mean they're one in one a when it when it boils down to it it's it's so hard to compare guys from different eras you know the game has changed so much since lebron has been around yeah and i feel like that was one of the most interesting things um just no, looking at the players you know back then compared to what they look like now it's like night and day i mean they're all in amazing shape but they're all very you know relatively skinny i guess you could say they are nowhere near as built as you know lebron is like you know, he could be a linebacker. But the counterpoint to that is the freedom that the defenses had to be physical. And you'll see that in next sure. week's episode against the Pistons, where they yeah, the Jordan rules that if Jordan didn't get hand checked and right. had the the analytics that they have today encouraging him to shoot threes, because Jordan was a great three point shooter. He just didn't shoot it that much because yeah. he was in the triangle. Mm -hmm. I'm convinced that his numbers would be significantly at least scoring wise much bigger than they even were in his prime oh so, yeah, yeah i mean there, yeah there's no doubt that jordan would be the leading scorer today and i mean he'd be a total beast i think to me what i what i try not to get hung up on is obviously championships are important and and at the end of the day to some people it championships are everything but as you saw with you know jordan's performance against the celtics i mean they were swept in the series but he was he played out of his mind, and they had no chance of winning that series. And I think a lot of the, the series and finals that LeBron's teams have lost, he's been in the same situation where they virtually had no chance. And in many cases, his team had no business being there. But the fact that he was able to elevate them to the finals, I mean, that, that Cavs team uh, early in his career that, he, that, that got swept by San Antonio, I mean, that was an awful, awful roster. Um, you know, you look at LeBron's uh, first finals when he came back to Cleveland, where uh, Kevin Love and Kyrie were both injured um, against that Warriors team. And, and he still, I think, took them to six games and, and just played out of his head. So it's tough. You know, I, LeBron made it to, um, what was it, uh, a 10 straight um 10 straight conference final or eight, eight straight conference final? I, th I think it was, I think it actually was 10. Yeah, he basically he's he owned the Eastern Conference for a decade, and I think that is an incredible accomplishment. So to me, I guess my my final takeaway, I came in slightly leaning towards LeBron. Um, I don't like to make the comparisons, but I'm I'm happy to watch this documentary and and get the full Jordan experience and just kind of I don't know. We'll we'll, we'll see what happens, but um, your mind will be changed. Don't it. worry. It's only <laughs> been two episodes. But, so yeah, but, but it's really it's really <laughs> nice to get some context on the, the early Jordan years, which, you know, I basically define it by, OK, he's got six championships and, you know, without knowing a lot of those backstories or, or being able to see them. 
So I want to ask you this, and I'm sorry to, to ask uh, something that if you wanted to move on, but oh. from a, non, a non-Chicago point of view, what storyline in the series were you most looking forward to or what person did you want to learn more about or see more about? Well, I guess I'll start it. I mean, there's nothing to do with the, the New York versus Chicago kind of thing. To me, what I what I want to uh, learn from this documentary, and truthfully, I don't know that we're going to get it, is what on earth happened uh, in those one and a half years where Jordan left the NBA. I mean, there's there's speculation that he had gambling problems and he was he was forced to walk away from the league. I think that they'll touch on it. I don't think we'll get the definitive answers that we're looking for. But to me, that's that's kind of the one thing. And another thing, going back to, to LeBron versus Jordan, one area maybe where LeBron has Jordan in the sense that I mean, LeBron has had probably more pressure than Jordan had on his shoulders in the sense that he's had all the social, deal with social media and just all that added pressure. But Jordan stepped away for a year and a half. Um, and then, you know, he, he stepped away after 98 when he probably had a few more years left in the tank. So I, I really want to know what kind of detail the documentary will get into because, I mean, it just seemed too early for Jordan to walk away from the game. I mean, he was still the best player in the league. Yeah, and Mike, I, I, uh, I'll direct the same to you. So for me, I, I want to see what they're saying about Dennis Rodman because, you know. Next week. <laughs> his, yeah, yeah, you know, his, his – his play was often overshadowed by his other antics, you know, off the court. But the thing was, he was an incredible fucking rebounder. And, you know, I guess I'm curious as, as to the player's perspective on how he was to work with as a player, you know, the, the kind of work ethic he, he had in practice and on the court and, you know, how they thought he contributed to the success of the team. We're going to have to add an R to our uh, podcast rating Explicit. now. <laughs> no, we get one, we get one, we get one F-bomb <laughs> on the show, and it was fitting that it was in the context of Dennis Rodman. Exactly. <laughs> he burned right, it fit, it fit the, the call out. No, I mean, I think for me, it's less about one moment or one player, but it is seeing more of that behind-the-scenes footage of, you know, the players interacting in the locker room, and we got a little bit of that, but, you know, I think the Jordan-Pippen relationship is obviously interesting, but... You know, there's probably things we're not expecting, whether it's, uh, you know, related to opponents or, you know, obviously we saw, you know, we heard from Clinton and Obama in the, the parts one and two. Former, so former things like Chicago that. resident. I know, with the, with the great uh, captions. So things yeah. like that, um, those unexpected moments are, are what's going to keep me watching. Yeah. And I guess to answer my own question, I, I really want to see the Jerry Krause versus Phil dynamic. <laughs> I I would hear a lot about it when I was younger, uh, but I didn't really get it because I was so focused on the players. But you just see the the inner turmoil going on, so that'll be fascinating to watch as the series progresses. And that's a, and that's a great segue to the next topic, Mike. Thanks for that. So obviously Jerry Krause is made out to be the villain in this documentary right right from the get go, and you can debate whether that's right or wrong. Um, you know, he was the architect behind these great Bulls rosters. He made some really difficult trades. Uh, he, he, he drafted Scottie Pippen. Um, and, you know, you have to give him a lot of credit for that. But clearly, he was not very well liked in the locker room. Uh, he clashed with Phil Jackson big time. Um, but, you know, the fact that he had told Phil Jackson that if the team went 82-0, and he still would not be back as head coach is so mind-boggling. Like, if something like that happened today, you just you can't even begin to imagine it. So my question is, um, you know, what were your general thoughts on on the way he was portrayed there? And do you think it's fair, you know, a guy who unfortunately is, is no longer with us and is not around to defend himself, but do you think that the portrayal, at least in the first two episodes, is fair to the legacy of, of Jerry Krause? Um, and- Mike, why don't you go for it? So I guess I guess I'll start that uh, I wasn't sure if it was Mandel or me. I I didn't want to talk twice I mean, in a row. You're, but, you're the you're the Bulls fan. You're, but, you're, yeah, your opinion matters. I I appreciate the deference. So um yeah, I think that the way they portrayed Jerry Krause was fair. Um there clearly was a rift. As a Bulls fan, personally, I'm infuriated that you would say to a coach after winning his fifth championship 
if you go 82 and 0, you're gone because Tim Floyd is waiting to take over. And by the way, when Tim Floyd took over, it was pretty bad. That's been pretty bad since the Jordan years, with the exception of getting lucky with Derrick Rose. Um, so I think that Jerry Krause was brilliant in the fact that he maneuvered to get Scottie Pippen. He traded Charles Oakley for Bill Cartwright. He got B.J. Armstrong and a lot of the role players that complimented Michael very well. But to be someone that lets your ego get to the point where you just can't stand the fact that these guys have made you into a legend. They've made you into a Hall of Fame general manager. And unfortunately for Jerry Krause, he wanted to be the alpha dog. But as they said several times in the documentary, he unfortunately didn't have the best looking face and he was kind of a short, uh, overweight guy and didn't get attention. And it just killed him that Jordan and Rodman and Pippen and Phil were were taking the spotlight and he perceived himself as the but for cause, the architect of this team that if it weren't for him, it wouldn't happen. It was just I, I just was again. Uh, I think they could have actually portrayed him worse because if you're MJ or you're Phil or Scotty or, or whoever uh, that was on the other side of that, to not just rip on the guy when you have the chance, I, I commend them for um, for kind of giving it an objective take. And they did praise him for building the team, but it just was untenable. Um, and did, you it was, remember, did you remember all of this as you were growing up with this happening? Or so, is this... So I remembered everyone not liking Jerry Krause, except for Jerry Reinsdorf. And I didn't understand it because I was 10, 11 years old at the time, and I was obsessed with the Bulls. And I'm like, how is this guy doing a bad job if we keep getting to the finals every year? Um, And frankly, I was too busy watching the games and thinking about the players to know what was coming the year after. And um, so, so I got that there was a problem, but as a 10, 11 year old kid, I was just enthralled with every game and excited. And um, frankly, I had no idea what was coming. And it's sort of interesting to watch this 20 plus years later because the perspective is so different in that had I been, you know, even a few years older at that time, I probably would have realized this could be it. Um, I had no idea that that Ryan that uh, Krause said to to Phil that this was it no matter what. And Jordan clearly was married to Phil. So I I commend the team for for winning that year because it must have been really hard to stay focused and, and do what they did. Yeah. Go ahead, Mike. I was just going to say, you know, coming from a non Bulls perspective and somebody who virtually knew nothing about the guy before watching this documentary. I, I think the portrayal was very fair and, and largely because Krauss himself made it. So I think what did it for me was when I watched the clip of him trying to, you know, defend his comment where he said he was misquoted for saying that players and coaches don't win championships. And he was like, well, that's not what I said. I said, players and coaches don't win championships alone. I think he actually made it look worse for himself, but by, by doing that, because from from the band's perspective, it is the players and coaches who win championships. It's, it's the people who are on the court or, or on the field who win the championships. The mark of a successful GM is to be invisible and, and to let the players and coaches do the talking. And it, it even reminded me of a time, it was like a couple of years back, maybe about a, a month or two after the Eagles won the Super Bowl. Uh, I'm walking out of a, a restaurant for lunch, and the guy walking in, I, I, I like – he looked familiar to me, but I couldn't pinpoint who it was. And after we were out of there, my father said, yeah, that's Howie Roseman, who, mm. you know, might have been the most popular guy in Philly at that point, but, you know, besides the, the coach. Uh, but, like, he was invisible, yet he was beloved. I mean, all Krause had to do with all these championships that he won was to keep his mouth shut. Like, people needed a reason to dislike him. He had everything going for him. He did do a great job as GM. He went all, you know, his team won all these championships. People were going to like him unless he did something to change that. And, you know, unfortunately for him, he did because he refused to allow, you know, the players and coaches to do all the talking and to just accept the fact that he's super rich, his team's doing great, and there really shouldn't be anything to complain about. 
and, and let alone one more point, the fact that he got the GM job in 1984-85, right after Jordan was a, a rookie, that he just went up to Jerry Reinsdorf because he was a scout with the White Sox and said, hey, I want to be the GM of the Bulls. And all these people said, yeah, he's not such a good guy. But Jerry Reinsdorf is so blindly loyal to his people. And I think that this was one of the Achilles heels of the dynasty that I was also shocked that MJ or the players or Phil didn't say, listen, it's him or me. It's, you know, when Jordan came back from retirement, if Krauss was doing this, now the players have so much power that, Adam, I don't think, do you think in today's NBA this would fly or would the GM who wants the attention be out the door if if a LeBron or the star well, yeah, sets You've already seen it, you know, where the, the players have complete control over the GMs. But to me, there was a really powerful quote by MJ. They were interviewing him. Uh, after one of the finals games, and they were they were talking to him about next season, and he said that if they decide to rebuild, you know, there's no guarantee. It could take two, three, five years to rebuild. And I I went and I, I looked up the Bulls' record um, after that season, and they were dead last in the East for the next four seasons, and yep. they had a losing record for the next seven years. Yep, and it just goes to show that when you have an elite talent, you can't take it for granted because, I mean, what's the point of, of rebuilding and trying to get a, a high draft pick you, for the hopes of drafting a guy like Michael Jordan? So when you have a guy like that in his prime, how you can... Were they being cheap? Um, so do you want me to answer that? <laughs> I, I have an answer. Um, that Jordan... At that season was making over the salary cap. Uh, so it would have been difficult to keep the team together as constructed, because if you paid Michael Jordan, then either Scottie Pippen or Dennis Rodman was going to have to go because they weren't going to be able to afford them unless they took a crazy pay cut. Um, and I also think that the, the reality was that Krauss and Jackson just couldn't coexist and, and Tim Floyd, who took over as coach after Phil left, I didn't know this either. In the documentary, they said Floyd was around the organization for a couple of years before he took over. And it's just sickening because I know exactly what happened after. Elton Brand, they got lucky. They got the first pick after the lockout shortened season. They got Elton Brand. And then he was on the team for a couple of years. And then they traded him for Tyson Chandler, the pick that became Tyson Chandler and drafted Eddie Curry, and that went nowhere. Yep. So, and, and, and then Krause's other picks were like Marcus, well, Paxson took over in 2003, and thank God he's gone, but like Krause didn't do anything after the dynasty. So it, is this, like Ian, you mentioned the Yankees dynasty. So imagine the Yankees dynasty, the Yankees going from their, their peak to just the bottom of the league. And it's infuriating that the Bulls went from the greatest basketball team ever, probably, and they got nothing for it. And they had just... Yeah. Um, well, they did. I mean, they got six championships. Well, I feel like you don't see it in baseball as much where you kind of bottom out like that because the draft doesn't matter as much. And right, it's not as instant, true. right? So you see it, you know, in basketball and, you know, even football i guess to a certain extent uh but yeah i mean it must have been pretty jarring but i don't think anyone's gonna feel bad for you either after so no, i'm not asking so. for it i believe me <laughs> with apologies to adam <laughs> yeah i'm still waiting no i mean i'm sure it's different i mean look at the obviously it's different with injuries but look at the warriors you know this past year basically being the worst team in the league after their you know borderline dynasty it's it's definitely strange but things were so bad and so contentious that michael jordan walked away from the game because he w he wouldn't play without Phil and he wouldn't play with, with Jerry Krause in the organization. I mean, that is unbelievable. I mean, can you imagine if that happened today? And you have, to think, you have to think that that Bulls team could have had at least one or two more titles left yeah. without question. You just anticipated my what I was going to say, that you had a situation where the season was shortened. So you have a really old team with a shortened season. You could have just said, hey, Let's bring it back together, 99, 
shortened season, go through the playoffs, and win one more time. And then if you want to say, hey, like, we've exhausted our options at that point, go ahead. But to not, to just dismiss it after 1998, before the season even starts, and then you win a championship, to me, it's it's the most um, mind-boggling and infuriating thing that not only did it happen to the team that I rooted for, but just to have that type of talent in one place and just throw it away like yeah, that. Yeah, I'm sure the NBA wasn't happy about it. Yeah, it's yeah. it's I like imagine LeBron going to Miami and then having everyone together, and then Pat Riley after the first year says, "Hey." I don't like that I'm not the center of attention anymore, and 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 that's but it. I, I think a lot of the GMs today have have learned from those those mistakes, and you could argue that you know players maybe have a little bit too much control today. But I mean, when LeBron went back to Cleveland, you know they mortgaged the future. They traded the number one pick, Andrew Wiggins, to get Kevin Love. Uh, you look at with the Lakers uh, when LeBron signed with the Lakers. They dumped all their young assets to bring in Anthony Davis. So I think, and even, you know, the team like the Patriots, um, you know, they had a choice. Do, do we do we keep Brady um, and ride him out as long as we can? Or do we do we get rid of him early and hand the keys over to Garoppolo? And they ultimately, which was probably the right decision because they won two more Super Bowls, or it definitely was the right decision, um, to, to, to ride, ride with their guy as long as they could. And it's just a shame that... Uh, you know, they, they couldn't, uh, I mean, it's nice for Jordan in the sense that he got to go out on top, but you would have liked to have seen really how far they could have taken it. And maybe that team overlaps with the, the, the Duncan Robinson years and, and gets a shot with them in the finals. Right. But even then you had Jordan and Phil, if both of them were given the option to come back, I don't see either of them, Jordan, especially with his competitive nature, turning down a chance to win a seven championship. All right, so let's move on to one more topic. Uh, I had some other uh, last dance items here, but uh, we'll have plenty of weeks to talk about those with uh, the lack of live sports. Our only new sports content. Yeah. New um, old sports content. <laughs> yeah, well, re- uh, relevant. I would call it relevant sports content. There you go. That's the way to put it. Um, so one of the big themes in the second episode was around Scottie Pippen and his his contract dispute you know he signed a deal uh, early in his career to get financial stability which Jer- uh, jerry reinstorf actually advised him against signing because he knew that uh, a couple of years down the road when the salary cap expanded that he was going to be well underpaid so scotty um as is shown in the documentary and as played out in real life <laughs> uh decided to have surgery uh, right before the season started um as opposed to having it at the end of the previous season so that he could enjoy his summer um again this is something that if it happened today you know it it would just be uh taken to a whole nother level but my question for you guys is can you make a case that things were so uh contentious between him and the front office that you could actually justify his actions in in delaying the surgery and um you know demanding the trade which ultimately didn't happen but can you can you justify his actions at all um, I actually think, and, and it's funny, I was watching this with my family and, and my mom is like the kindest, most big hearted person. And she was furious with Jerry Krause when Scotty Pippen said that she's like, good, I'm glad he did that because Pippen, what, what got me and, um, I didn't know this about Pippen's backstory that he came from, what was it? 12 kids. And very, very, I knew he went to central Arkansas, but like very, very rural Arkansas. He had a growth spurt late, which really changed the trajectory of his um, ability to get to the NBA. And he had two people that were paralyzed in his family. And I completely understand why he signed that deal because he went and bought his mama house. He, he went and supported his family and um, he gave the bulls so much during that time that, you know, just from a people perspective and being good to your being good to those that are good to you, uh, despite him signing that contract, Reinsdorf took a very hard line with him. And when the trade rumors were circulating around Pippen going to the Celtics, um, that's the utmost disrespect when you're getting when you're the 122nd highest paid player in the league 
for being what you are and how valuable you are to the team. And the other argument I make is Kraus, the, the biggest thing he did was draft Scottie Pippen. So rather than treat him like the biggest thing he did and appreciate yep. what he did for him. Kraus, he alienated him and he he not only alienated him, but made him feel small. And it was a way of his, using his power as general manager to get back at him. So, so I definitely think that, you know, he reached his breaking point and he just couldn't handle it anymore. And for him, he wanted to come back for the playoffs. And I guess it was a, a preamble to load management where he, he took a lot of the time to recover from the surgery, um, didn't play. And though the timing obviously wasn't ideal for the team, they did win. And he actually made, I didn't know this, $20 million more ultimately yep. Then Michael Jordan did. It all worked out for him. <laughs> right. But but still, at the time, you don't know that at the time. So, yeah, I definitely think uh, he was justified or you can make a justification for it. Adam, what was the thing? Have... I don't know if you saw what was going on on Twitter over the weekend. Were they going to hold like a pity party for him and his wife or ex-wife made some comments? Yeah. Larsa, his ex-wife. I thought, I thought they were still married. I was disappointed to hear they're divorced. <laughs> um, but... Yeah, she said he's fine, and I'm sure she's fine too. Um, so, so uh, yeah, but that was pretty funny. Yeah, it's all relative, but no, I mean I'd agree with Mike. Um, yeah, it's uh, somewhat unfortunate, but you know we're all uh, talking about fake money to, to us, so you can't feel too bad either. <laughs> it, it's t- it's tough because I think I think when you sign a contract, you know you 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 got to you got out of the contract, but. Totally. And, if it's true that that Reinsdorf had advised him not to sign it, I think it 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 favors Bulls management. But at the same time, you know this is kind of how it works in in sports. Um, you know, occasionally, at least at least when you're talking about superstar players, and I think that there's probably a better way that they could have uh, massaged the relationship a little bit, such that you know maybe they gave him a, a little bit of a raise or just do something to make him feel more appreciated. But I think there was a point made in the documentary that said that Scotty having the surgery and missing the, the first half of the season was basically what he needed to do to feel like the contract was justified. And I, I kind of get that. I kind of get that explanation. It's like, okay, you're not going to pay me. I'm grossly underpaid. You know, give me, Give me half a season off, and and I'll, I will feel a little bit better about being the um, 126th highest paid player in the league. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's definitely an argument to be made that you know you honor your contract, and but it's it sort of, I think, given that in sports, people sign contracts all the time that are very low in value initially, and then if they start performing at a certain level the ownership that's player-friendly or more player-friendly usually restructures that deal in some way that if there was a problem would benefit the the player. And I think that management needs to understand that. Whether it's right or wrong, a happy player will simply be more productive than a player who isn't. And that that applies outside of sports as well. And I'm I'm not saying that, you know, Pippen was necessarily justified, but management's got to know that, that, you know, if he thinks he was – you know, undervalued, then that's going to show in the court. And it's up to management to do something about it if it's that important. Well, we'll have uh, plenty of uh, future podcasts to talk about this. Uh, some, so many fascinating topics to get into. Uh, before we pivot to NFL talk, any final thoughts? I'm sure, Mike Weil, you have uh, some final things you want to oh, say. Oh, man. And I, I'm going to, you know what, I feel bad because um, Ian, I know, has been itching to, to get to football so uh, uh, all I'll say is that I love the first two episodes. They they both I, I thought both were great for different reasons, and I can't wait to watch the the rest of the series unfold. All right, so I think you're on mute, Ian. Ian is on mute. Sorry, no, I was just I'm not issuing necessarily at the football, um, but oh, what do you want no, to I get mean- to? I don't know. It's uh, you know, it's a slow week, but I think no, it, it's very cool, Mike, that you're able to kind of relive um, your you know your past glory and your '90s success. So maybe they'll do one for the Yankees at some point. Yeah, the fact yeah, they might. Past glory. 
I don't think that'll generate quite the same level of. I don't think that'll generate quite the same level. I mean, if they had behind the scenes of what Jeter was doing those years, I think that would get a lot of attention. There's only one MJ. We will say. Yep. All right. Well, that was fun. So we'll we'll have more to talk about, I'm sure, in the weeks ahead. So I think maybe we'll do another 15 minutes here. We'll move to football. And we had um, originally we were going to start with NFL draft talk with the, the draft being on Thursday. But uh, we did get some breaking news late this afternoon, which is that Rob Gronkowski is coming out of retirement and he's been traded to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to reunite with his old pal Tom Brady um, for a fourth-round pick. So this is pretty shocking news. It sounded like Gronkowski was really happy in retirement, and you know, he was just in a, in a pretty bad state um, mentally a couple years ago when he, when he walked away. Uh, but he's back, and, and, and he's with Brady. So, um, uh, Ian, I'll, I'll start with you. What were your initial Honestly, thoughts on when I first saw the tweet before it was, I guess, official, I thought it was some sort of a joke. I was like, wait, this is so strange. I mean, Gronk, as I don't know if you are aware, but he just, I think, signed with the WWE a few weeks ago mm-hmm. and he hosted WrestleMania and he actually became one of their champions. <laughs> um, so I, I was just pulling up WWE statement about it, which uh, we can chat about kind of a funny aside. But I mean, you know. You see this with athletes all the time, talking about athletes who unretire, look at Jordan. Um, but for me, I mean, I just think Gronk has been through so much, so many injuries, surgeries. Um, his last year or two, he was, in a sense, a shell of himself. I know he was, you know, the best tight end in football, so it was pretty high standards. But, um, you know, good for him. But I, my expectations are relatively low um, for what he's going to be doing on the field. Yeah, and I, I was I was shocked. Um, I when when I saw it, I'm like, well, is he still retired? And then I saw he actually is probably going to play next year. And I'm just like, so he retired from Bill Belichick, basically. That um, something must have been going on in New England the last couple of years because um, you know this seemed like a calculated move from both of them. I, I, now to me, it seems like maybe Brady and Gronk talked a little bit before, before Brady ended up in Tampa and they, they may have planned this because, uh, it just sort of came out of left field. But, but now the, the bucks to me are, are the team to watch next year. I mean, now you got, you got Mike Evans and, and Godwin and Gronk and Brady and, then they'll, they'll probably draft a running back. And then defensively, they were pretty good last year too. So, um, Tampa's back on the, on the football map. How often map though did the way. off-season moves actually turn into on-field success in, in so many sports? I feel like, you know, the off-season favorite often doesn't translate. Look at the Browns last year. Right, but I mean, you're talking about potentially the two greatest players at their respective positions. Do you have full confidence in Brady, though? I mean, he's definitely fallen I, off. It's a brand new I, system. Um, I think they'll tailor the system to what Brady wants. And I think that the weapons in New England do not compare at all to what he has in Tampa Bay this year. I think these are for his career. I mean, he had Randy Moss, so that probably was better when he had Moss. But aside from that, the, the amount of weapons he has now and the potential for success that he has in, in Tampa with Gronk coming back, but then, like with the receiving talent he has, uh, I think he's going to be rejuvenated. Yeah, and I, I think. Was, I was, okay, Mike. Hey, you got it, Adam. Go ahead. I was really shocked to see him come back, and I, I, I don't think this is a Belichick thing. I, I think when when Gronk decided to retire, he was really he was not in a good place. Um, you know, he had injuries, but I think. Uh, mentally, he was just completely fried. And I, I, I remember seeing interviews with him where he got really emotional talking about how he's lost his passion for the game and he, he needs to find himself. So, and he seemed really content in retired life. So it's it's pretty surprising that he, I guess, got the itch. And, you know, I don't know if it's maybe the, you know, the idea of, of playing in, in Florida, maybe there's some feel to that. You know, maybe he'll have a a much lesser role in Tampa than he did in New England. The, the offense won't revolve around him as much. Um, I think if you're a, a Tampa Bay fan, you have to 
love the move. I mean, they're they're clearly trying to win now. Um, so you know, why not go for it? But um, definitely surprised to see him come out of retirement. And um, but if he was going to come out, you know, this was this this landing spot obviously makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I was I was surprised myself. It seemed pretty definitive to me at the time. And um, like Ian, when I first saw the news, I had to to check to see that it wasn't a joke. Um, especially with all the laughing emoticons on on the post. Um, and, and when I found that it was real, I'm like, okay, first off, Tampa is absolutely going to love this because they're going to have all the fanfare in, in all of football right now. Their their offensive skill players are stacked. Um, from what I remember, their line was actually pretty decent. And, and you know, did, they're going to have the opportunity to compete with the Saints for, for the NFC South for the first time since, like, the early 2000s. So that's big for Tampa. And... I don't want to do too much to, to dampen their expectations, but what we can't ignore is that Gronk is still more injury-prone than even the average tight end. Um, I don't want them to think that they've got all this stuff going on and you know a clear shot to contend with the Saints, and you know something happens, which often does in football, and blows it all away. So I think you know they want to make sure that they bring Gronk into the system, but that they don't build it around Brady and Gronk, because you know either one of these guys are just way too injury prone to put all your chips in. Where does Tampa fit in now in the NFC? I, I would imagine most people will at least have them making the playoffs, but where, where do you guys see them, uh, you know, ranking compared to the rest of the conference? I, I mean, I, I think they're, they're right there now with the Saints. I, I, I think what also is a point I, I didn't mention was that Gronk got a year to rest. And I, I think that that's going to help him a lot because when he left, his biggest thing was injuries. When he was playing and healthy, he was still a dominant force. So granted, if he gets hit really hard and gets injured, that's one thing. But I think that in years, at least the last couple of years, the fact that he got a full year to recover and for his body to recuperate, um, it it will help him stay healthy yeah. potentially. And I think just getting away from Belichick, the two of them are going to basically be in heaven because they'll they'll have a coach that is – not as extreme. Well, and Bel- yeah, Belichick was. I wouldn't he, make this about Belichick. I, I really don't think. I, I, I think I'm in the mode of, of the Jerry Krause Bulls documentary, maybe. <laughs> but but to answer your question, um, I think the, the the Bucks could win that division. And in terms of talent and the the teams that are in the NFC, I, I put them toward the top. Um, I think that there's no reason not to at this point. Yeah, I, based on your guys' reaction, I guess I'm maybe a little more skeptical of, of Grok's ability on the field. Definitely agree that the time off helps. The offense isn't going to revolve around him, but he's still, what is he, 30, I don't know, is that 31, 32? Like he's still, you know, for, for football years, especially at a position like tight end, he's taken so many hits. I think it'll be interesting if he's able to really you know make his presence known besides just getting double teamed which i guess in some ways is a big help to their offense since they do have a pretty diverse um offense compared to what we've seen you know out of the patriots the last few years i mean i I, you know the east overall there's i don't think there or sorry the nfc there's not as much depth maybe as as the afc um you know i think the 49ers are obviously the favorite um but i think you know the packers the saints Maybe the Vikings are ahead of them, but they're definitely, you know, I, I think we'd all be surprised if they don't make the playoffs. Yeah, I, I think they're simultaneously going to be competing with the Saints for the NFC South and, and with some of the wildcard teams to make sure that even if they lose to the Saints, that they still get in. Um, I think to Ian's point, you know, overall, there probably aren't as many NFC teams competing, but among those that are, the, the talent pool is still going to be pretty sharp. And they are going to have to keep themselves relatively healthy. I think it's almost a given that one of these skill guys is going to get injured for a game or two, but they have to keep it to, to a game or two and, you know, not have anything be season ending. Um, otherwise it's going to be hard to see them, you know, contend with, with, with that one of their key guys. Well, I think we have to hold off on making our final predictions for the upcoming season. until <laughs> We see the results of the NFL draft, which segues into our final topic, uh, the NFL draft, which, is happening this Thursday, as, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, it will be done virtually, which should be very interesting. Um, it sounds like they've been doing mock drafts all week, which sounds like something that all of us have done uh, many a times for football. And we've never seemed to have any technical glitches, but it sounds like 
the NFL was having problems. We haven't done video across what thirty teams or whatever. True, <laughs> yeah, true. Um, you got to think they could just plug in the college players into Yahoo and <laughs> just draft them. That, <laughs> that would be pretty funny. Live, yeah. live shot of a stake draft. But uh, what what do you guys think? Uh, do do you think there's going to be any technical snafus? Um, anything uh, out of the ordinary that we should expect to see on Thursday? Well, I think not only um, all the, you know, showing the players and the teams, I think there's a lot of <laughs> moments for things to get wrong um, or to go wrong. It sounds like they're also bringing in like celebrities, like Kevin Hart's doing something and a bunch of other names, former players. So um, it should definitely make for an interesting evening um, at the very least. Uh, and yeah, it's something brand new. And, you know, probably all the, the leagues are gonna, likely going to have to do their drafts this way. So they're kind of the first uh, first to go at it. And in some ways, it'll make it more interesting if something does go wrong. I think everyone's probably seen um, the Bud Light promotion that they're doing this year around uh, virtually booing Roger Goodell, which I thought was <laughs> uh, pretty funny and also surprising at the end the Latin that so that should be a nice little um factor there too but um you know for me watching the draft beyond like watching my team the giants i'm not super into it but i feel like this year with it being so different um i'm a little bit more you know excited to tune in so it's it's funny that you mentioned this being the first one it's actually not uh and i'm actually i'm going to admit yeah, this publicly I did. I did watch the first couple of picks of the WNBA draft. Good for you. Uh, a, a That's because awesome. I was curious to see what it was like the virtual component, and B, um, I am on the Sabrina uh, Ayescu um, hype train, so I. Yeah, I New York had the first pick. Yeah, so um, I would say overall, it they managed to to pull it off pretty well. Um, the the one thing I did not really like, so the commissioner uh, announces the pick. She's got a jersey in her. You know, she's holding up the jersey. Uh, she announces the pick, and then you know they have the player available on Skype or whatever it is. And then she says, you know, congratulations. And then she turns it right over to a reporter who starts interviewing, uh, who starts interviewing the player. So I thought the, the commissioner. It'd be nice to hear the commissioner ha- say something other than you know congratulations. Something a little more personal. Um, you know, it was a little awkward with, the, with you know, the, the WNBA commissioner kind of holding up the jersey and then saying the same thing to every player before transitioning to the reporter. So I'd like to see, you know, especially with, you know, Goodell, someone who's so uh, polarizing to, you know, I, I'm curious to see what that interaction is like between him and the players. Yeah, I'd, I'd actually like to see cameras in the living rooms of these GMs, like a like a Skype thing, but you see all the the cords and things hooked up and how they each have it set up because that, that would be kind of cool. Like when else is this going to happen? And they, the, what made me thought of this was I read in one of the Chicago papers today that Ryan Pace said that the, the bears GM, that he was having, he was upstairs and had his like seven cords running to different internet portals in his house. So he would make sure that he would have access and just how the teams are rigging up these, these connections or draft stations or war rooms, however you want to call it in the comfort of their own home. So hopefully there won't be any glitches, but I wouldn't be surprised if there were just because it's, you know, such a coordinated and complex effort. But I think given their dress rehearsals, they they're as prepared as they're going to be. I'm kind of hoping that this, this virtual format will lend more teams to get the picks in faster you know, like the Cincinnati Bengals, I'm sorry, when Goodell says you're on the clock, that pick needs to be in. Like if you're still, if, if it's still taking you 15 minutes to, um, you know, to, to get the pick in, especially with what's going on now, you know, then, then there's a problem. I think it should be like um, if, if, there, if, if the first pick, um, the Bengals, uh, are slow to get the pick in and then there's a glitch, after 15 minutes, it should go straight to auto draft. Let's take the first guy, the, the highest ranked guy, on Mel Kuyper Jr.'s draft list, and that's who they're stuck with. That's a nice thought, but I think with technical <laughs> difficulties, it might take even longer, unfortunately. 
I love we'll all say, these, I, Ian, the article you just sent the, about the, the war rooms. In, in setups for the GMs is insane. We have, like, the 49ers. John Lynch has got, like, what, five monitors. He looks like he's, like, you know, yeah. basically working in IT, he's, three phones. Like, <laughs> and then Gettleman, the Giants GM, has got, like, his giant notebook and, like, a little laptop with no mouse pad. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, kind of goes along with, I think, a lot of people's feelings about Gettleman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I like what Very it said about... This makes me confident in Ryan Pace. He says he has two uh, XOS computers with downloaded video and then a Microsoft Surface tablet, and he did 100-plus Skype interviews. So I'm, I'm pretty confident. Gettleman, Ian, I don't know, man. It, it, <laughs> he he seems know, like he's winging it a little bit. Yeah, that, everyone kind of you know has low expectations for the Giants. So um, I think uh, you know they, they have turned into the Knicks for me. It's, uh, Kind of a well, at least they've got two checkers lifetime that they have, yeah. yeah. And that was before Gettleman, but yes, all right. Well, we're I think we're right at about the hour mark, so I think we should wrap, wrap things up to keep this as snackable content for our podcast, which hopefully we can distribute to uh, all of our and discuss snack foods, all the, all the streaming <laughs> platforms. Hey, we, so, we gotta... we'll, so let's do let's do a quick final thoughts. Um, it could be uh your draft uh, aspirations for your team or whatever's on your mind. I'll start with you, Mike Mandel. So as far as the draft goes, obviously everyone's saying that the Eagles are going to take wide receivers because, you know, Jackson's past his prime. Jeffrey is too, and might not even be back. And, you know, after that, we've got nobody. So I, I think they'll definitely have a lot of receivers, but for their first pick, they might go with the lineman because we saw how damaging the lack of strong offensive line was to, to Wentz's effectiveness. Um, in 2019 versus 2017, and I, I think it, it's going to be a top priority to shore that up. That, that that's what's going to you know really make him the quarterback that he was in 17. Like yes, you need the receivers, and they're going to draft a lot of them, but you've got to solidify that offensive line, which is aging and you know clearly had weakened over the course of the last couple of seasons since the Super Bowl. Ian. Um, my thought is, I guess, a little bit broader, um, just about the current landscape and, you know, sports and the world. And I know since we last chatted, which we spent a lot of the episode about kind of all these different plans that the leagues have and, um, where things are going, I think, you know, we haven't really learned much. Um, it seems like all the commissioners are kind of in this wait and see mode. There's a lot of these kind of fantasy ideas about, you know, multiple cities, quarantines, things of that nature. But, um, I think it's just really interesting on almost a daily basis. You hear about different proposals and at least for me, one day you think the season, you know, stands a good shot of returning the next day. It's like, there's no way they're going to play, you know, baseball. So, um, it's just such a, a weird time. And I think, you know, at least this week we do have the NFL draft, um, which is kind of a, you know, normal, uh, late April moment for all of us to hopefully be distracted by what's going on in the real world. Mike. Um, yeah, and uh, thanks, guys. It, it, this was awesome for the uh, the second podcast. I, I think this was phenomenal, and we hope to get this on streaming platforms or at least Facebook so people can listen. Um, but my final thought, to, uh, it's it's sort of sports-related, but, but more so as, as Ian's point, a, a broader point, that today is uh, Holocaust Memorial Day, uh, Holocaust Remembrance Day, and it's 75 years since... Uh, the end of World War II, and um, I'm the grandson of two Holocaust survivors, and my my whole mom's side was was in the the concentration camps. And uh, though we're in quarantine, and there's a lot of hardship and and difficulty right now, um, you know, I'm always every day just just knowing where I come from, so blessed to be able to to be free and and be able to watch sports and and watch the Last Dance and 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 enjoy just what what uh what life is about and that's that's family and friends and and coming together to to be happy and and work hard but but have a good time and i think it's always important to remember um you know the holocaust especially with a lot of the survivors uh getting older passing away uh so i know it's not sports related but given that it's uh today i wanted to uh just mention uh, Holocaust Remembrance Day. Now, Mike, how, how am I supposed to make a point about the Jets after a comment like that? I'm sorry. I should have. Uh, it just came to me now. But no, with, no, with the caveat, on. with that caveat, <laughs> you're perfectly within your rights. 
uh, because this is a sports show to, to make your point uh, about the Jets. No, no, no. It's obviously very, very well said. It, it, it obviously puts things in, into perspective, and I think that's kind of what sports provides us with. It's an outlet to escape from you know, some of the harsh realities of life. But uh, I do appreciate your, your mentioning that, and, uh, and I think that's a, um, a, a great point that you make. So, yeah, my, my final thought was just going to be uh, the, um, the Jets and – you know, they, it seems like they draft defense every year in the first round and they lost Robbie Anderson this year uh, in free agency. And it would be really awesome to see them draft one of these top two stud wide receivers, either CD lamb or Jerry Judy, just to give Sam Darnold a, a, a playmaker to work with next season. So that's what I'm hoping for on Thursday. So with that, that will, so that wait, will be- can I ask one final yeah. question? Go for it. I'm curious about the draft. How many rounds is the draft? It's like four nights, yeah, right? Or four days? Uh, I think it's four days, seven. seven how, how much of the draft in a percentage term will you be watching? Oh, I'll watch maybe the first round. Okay. Time. All yeah. right. Yeah. I, I thought you were going to say like 95%. No, no. no. <laughs> okay. It actually, the, the new format actually works out well. You know, you could watch yeah. the main guys on Thursday and then it's right. It's amazing, though, that they, they, they drag it out for that many days. Yeah. I guess there's, you know, people always looking for content. Yeah. Fortunately for me, the Jets are always drafting in the first hour or so. so. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So, all right. Well, that'll do it for another edition of the, uh, I guess, podcast to be named later. Uh, hopefully, we will get this out. Um, uh, we, we can send out the file for this so people can download it um, at home. And next week... We are hoping to stream this live so that people can interact with us in real time on Facebook. So thanks to all who are hopefully listening to this podcast, which is out there somewhere in the world. And uh, we'll be talking to you next week.